<clears throat> well, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Grace. Like Tim said, if this is your first time here and you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. You're, we're glad you're here. And uh, and if you have, if this is your first time or if you haven't been here in a while, um, let me just kind of give you a quick recap of what we've been doing over the past several weeks. So we've been doing a series that we started that we've been calling Jesus in His Own Words, and uh, and really kind of the premise of this series has been based off of we said sort of a tension um, that we face in our culture today. And so we said we, we kind of live in a unique time uh, in 21st century America in that we live in a very unique tension uh, as a culture as it relates to Jesus. And so we said on one hand, if, if you've been with us, you, you probably remember me saying this, we said on one hand, we live in what we call sort of a Jesus-saturated culture. And, and of course what I mean by that is we live in a culture in which uh, most people are familiar somewhat with the name of Jesus Christ, right? So the name of Jesus is a familiar one to most of us. Uh, the name of Jesus shows up in every major arena in our culture. And so the name of Jesus shows up in politics. The name of Jesus um, shows up in every major religion that's represented in our country. The name of Jesus shows up in pop culture. And so we live in a Jesus-saturated, kind of a Jesus-familiar culture. We said, while that's true on one hand, on the other hand, this is where the tension arises, we also live in a bit of a Jesus-confused culture, right? And so there are so many presentations, there are so many opinions about who Jesus is, that we said that for a person that's investigating Jesus, which might be some of you today, for a person who's investigating Jesus, it can be hard to determine, hard to discern, who is Jesus? Who is he really? And, uh, and so because of that, because of that tension that we said exists in our culture, it's kind of prompted us to, to start this investigation together. We said that our investigation is primarily concerned with one question. We're just asking one question. And the question we're asking is not um, what does culture say about Jesus, right? Because depending on who you ask in culture, you're going to get a different answer. There's so many different opinions and presentations that it can be very, very confusing. So we're not asking culture what do you say about Jesus, nor are we asking religion what do you say about Jesus? We said that every major religion that's represented uh, today in our country has an opinion about Jesus and it, and it varies from, from one faith to the next. So we're not asking culture, we're not asking religion. Instead, this is a question that we're asking. We're asking, what did Jesus say about Jesus? What did Jesus say about Jesus? In other words, uh, what did Jesus say in his own words? Hence the title, Jesus in his own words. And so each week what we've been doing then in this investigation is we have been looking at a, a different claim that Jesus Christ made about himself each week. And then at the end of our sermons, we've just been asking the question, we're like, okay, if Jesus said this about himself, if this is what he said about himself, if it's true, then what does that mean about Jesus? And consequently, what, what are the implications for you and I then? How are we to interact with him and how does that kind of affect our lives? So as we've been doing, each week looking at a different claim that Jesus made about himself as we investigate Jesus in his own words together. Today we're going to keep doing that. We're going to look at the fifth claim that Jesus made about himself um, in this series. And to do that, I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me and go to John chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to grab them with me, go to John chapter 9. It's actually kind of funny. The, the claim that we're going to look at about Jesus is actually found in John chapter 10. But in order to understand fully the claim that we're going to look at that Jesus made about himself in John 10, you have to first understand the context of John chapter 9. So that's what we're going to look at. It's John chapter 9. And once again, like I said, that, that, that you want to get your Bibles and go there. Um, if you do not have a Bible, if you didn't bring one this morning, that's totally fine. We actually have some for you. And so hopefully there's one in arm's reach there. You can grab one in the chairs behind you or in front of you on the chair backs. 
and uh, get to page 747 in those black Bibles. And I'll also say this, we say this every week, but if you're a guest with us this week and you don't own a Bible outright, you don't have one, or if you don't have a newer translation of the Bible, would you just take one of ours, write your name in it, make it a gift from us to you and take it home. We think it's really important that you have a Bible uh, for yourself. So grab that, page 747 is where we're going this morning. And uh, as you're turning there, we're kind of getting ready for this. Let me just, let me just say this quickly. Um, I know that in this room, represented at this service and our other services as well, that we have a whole variety of, of people who are in different places spiritually. Okay, so I know that some of you who are here this morning are investigating Jesus. You're not sure what you think about the whole thing. Maybe you're still on the fence about Jesus, and I know that. And I know that there are some of you who are here today who are fully devoted followers of Jesus. You would call yourself a disciple of Christ. And I know that there's everything in between. And all of that is represented here in this room today. I believe that the claim that we're going to look at today that Jesus made about himself is for all of us. No matter where you're at in your spiritual journey, this claim is for everybody. However, I do think that today what Jesus says about himself speaks to a very specific audience as well, in particular. And this is, this is what I want you to do. For, for those of you who maybe you're in here today and you're, you're kind of uncomfortable being here, and this is what I mean. For some of you, this might be the first time that you've connected with church in a long time. Maybe you've been coming for the past few weeks, or the past few months, or maybe this is the first time you've been here. And, and this, is, this for you is a strange thing. You're like, I would have never thought that I'd be in church, but I'm in church. And maybe, maybe the reason is because maybe somewhere in the past you grew up going to a church, maybe you had a religious upbringing, and something happened. And I don't know what it is, but, but, but there was something that, that caused a distaste in your mouth for spiritual things, for God, for the church, for Jesus. Something happened back there. Maybe someone hurt you, someone said something to you. Or maybe for you, you're a person, maybe you didn't grow up in a religious background, but maybe you knew people who were religious. You knew Jesus people. So maybe your parents were religious people, or maybe you, maybe you had friends or relatives that were religious, or maybe you dated someone who was religious. And something happened that, once again, caused kind of a bitter taste in your mouth. Maybe there's an interaction that, that caused you to, to look at the Jesus thing with either skepticism or even with a little bit of distaste. Now, if that happened, if you're that person, okay, if you had a bad church experience, you got burnt in the past, or something like that happened, okay, I believe that what Jesus says today about himself is really for you. Okay? And I think that as we look at the claim that he makes, that it's not only going to bring a lot of clarity, my hope is it brings a lot of clarity, but maybe even, hopefully it'll bring some answers to some questions that you've had for a long time. And that's what I'm hoping for. Right? So if you're in that category, if that's you, I'd encourage you to lean in a little bit um, as we continue this investigation in John chapter 9. All right, having said that, let's just go right to the text. We'll start in John chapter 9, verse 1. All right, got your Bibles. Here we go. As he went along, as Jesus went along, he saw a man blind from birth. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And it says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when, when, uh, when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's what's going on, right? So Jesus is walking with his disciples. The Bible says as he's walking, they interact. They see this man who is born blind. And the disciples, when they see this man who is born blind... In their minds, they have a bit of a theological conundrum. And so they look to Jesus, and they ask Jesus a theological question. They say, Jesus, this man was born blind? So they're like, so who sinned? Who's, in other words, whose fault was it that this man was born this way? Was it his fault? 
Was he, was he, was he a sinner from birth? Or was it his parents' fault? Now, now, like I said, the question they're asking Jesus is a theological question, and it would have been based off of um, a major hot topic back in this time. So back in this time, the Jewish leaders, the rabbis, what they taught, they taught people that whenever someone had a physical ailment or a physical disability, so if you were blind or if you were paralyzed or if you had some kind of sickness or illness, long-time sickness or illness, the, the rabbis taught that any type of physical infirmity was directly related to personal sin. So if you're sick, it's because you sinned. If, if, if you were paralyzed, it was because of something you did or something that someone, there was some sin that was connected to that. So, so, the, so they're walking, the disciples and Jesus are walking, and they see this man who was born blind, and the disciples look at him, they look at Jesus, and they go, now, now here's a question we have for you. Whose fault is that, that this man was born this way? Was it his fault, or was it his parents' fault? And Jesus' answer is so phenomenal. Jesus looks at him, and he says, yeah, neither. Neither one of those options. So this actually happened. The reason he was born that way is because God's glory was going to be displayed in his life. Now, I think this is fascinating because one of the things that we've seen in the series, I think if we found anything true about Jesus in the series, it's that any time you try to put Jesus in a category, it's either this or this, he never neatly fits into any of the categories that we put him in. This is one of the things we've been looking at this series. I think a lot of times when we interact with Christ, the disciples should have known this. You don't, you don't say it, tell Jesus, is it this one or this one? You just don't do that, right? Because Jesus never fits neatly in our categories. I think we do this sometimes. We're like, uh, Jesus, which one is it? Am I, should I be a Democrat or Republican? Like Jesus would be like, yeah, neither. Really not either one of those. What is it, Jesus? Is it Calvinist or Arminian? Which, which theological persuasion? And I think Jesus would say, it doesn't really work that cleanly. You're, you're making these categories, they're, they're too polarized. It's not quite like that. I think if you went to Jesus today and you said, Jesus, spoon or fork, I think Jesus would say, spork. That's just the way it's going to be, you know? I think if you said Apple or Android, he'd say, well, Apple, right? Just obviously. And uh, so, but uh, yeah, shout out there. Um, but yeah, I think, I, you know, Jesus never fits real neatly into the categories that we tend to try to put him in. So the disciples say, what is it, Jesus? Which one? And Jesus is like, you guys are looking at this guy like a theological problem. He says, I'm looking at him with love as someone who God wants to glorify. So then look what happens, verse 6. After saying this, after talking to his disciples here, this is crazy. He spit on the ground, and he made some mud with the saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. So that's gross right? It's gross. All God's people said, gross. gross, right? So that's totally gross. So just imagine this conversation, right? The disciples are like, who, who sinned for that to happen? And Jesus is like, neither sinned. Talks to Lugie, makes some mud, the Bible says, globs it on this man's eyes. Now here's a question, right? Why would Jesus We've been looking over the past several weeks some of the stuff that Jesus has said about himself, and he said some crazy stuff about himself. If what Jesus said is true, and he, he genuinely has the ability to heal people, if he does that, he could have done that however he wanted. Right? Now, I'm just saying, if I was Jesus, this is just me, and I'm, I'm not Jesus, and that's good, but if I was Jesus, I think I would have done something like totally spectacular. I would have been like, I'm going to heal this blind man. You guys ready? And I would have had pyrotechnics and fog. I would have had them play the final countdown. You guys know that song? <laughs> and I would have had lightning come down. I would have been like, see, you know, and he would have opened his eyes. But Jesus instead, when he decided to heal this blind man, the primary mode by which he decided to do that, perform that miracle, was this very gritty, grimy, 
dirty way of making this mud and globbing it on this man's eyes. Now, why would he do that? Now, there's a lot of opinions about that, a lot of different opinions, but I'll just be honest with you. I have a very strong opinion of why I think Jesus chose that method to perform that miracle. And I'll talk about it here in a second because I think the text shows us why. I think we're going we're to see why here in a second. So let's keep going. So he spits, does it totally gross, makes the mud, globs it on the guy's eyes. And in verse 7, go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. The word Siloam means sent. So the man went and he washed, and watch this, and he came home seeing. Man, how cool is that? He came home seeing. I don't know what it is about those three words, came home seeing, but they have lodged themselves in my mind this week. I just keep thinking, man, that must have been for this guy the coolest moment of his life. Just imagine that. He has been born blind. He's an adult now. And so Jesus globs this mud on his eyes, which must have been confusing for everybody. And then Jesus is like, go wash it off. And he washes it off in the pool of Siloam. And as he begins washing it off, man, his vision is restored. And the Bible says, then he walks home seeing. And I'm like, that must have been for this guy the best walk ever. He's walking home. Can you imagine? It's the first time he's seen the clouds. He's like, whoa, that's big. You know, he sees the trees. He probably saw a camel for the first time. He's like, so that's what that looks like. That's weird. You know, he probably saw people. He's like, hey, it's good to see you. I can see you. <laughs> this is a guy who literally could have said to someone, I haven't seen you in forever. And like, <laughs> meant it. It's like the only guy who could have. So he's walking home. He's playing the best day of his life, man. And he's like, I can see the curse. So the Bible says he finally gets home and his neighbors and the people he grew up with, they see him. And they're all like, what happened to you? And he's like, ah, Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. I washed. I can see. It's crazy. And they're like, this doesn't make any sense. He's like, I know, I know, but it's undeniable. It's unexplainable, but it's undeniable. And everyone's like, we don't have any explanation. So the Bible says what they do is they decide to take this man to the Pharisees. They're like, we, we need more information. We have to figure this out. Clearly, a miracle has taken place. They're like, we got to get the experts involved. So they take him to the Pharisees. Look at verse 13. Verse 13 says, they brought, the Pharisee, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. Okay, so now, if you guys don't know much about the Bible, you might remember, uh, you might need to know the Pharisees were like, back in this time, they were the religious leaders. Okay, so these guys were the most, they were the most pious, um, most educated, most disciplined guys you'd ever met. Um, these guys knew the Bible backwards and forwards. In fact, uh, scholars tell us that the Pharisees most likely had the entire Old Testament memorized. They knew it frontwards, backwards, left, right, up, down, the whole thing. They knew the whole Bible. These guys would have been the guys who, uh, they would have led the services at the synagogue. These guys, if you had a question about God, you went to the Pharisees. Everyone in the Jewish community wanted to be like the Pharisees. These guys were incredible, right? So, so obviously a miracle's taken place. Everyone's like, we don't know what happened. That's crazy. We got to take this to the experts. So they go to the Pharisees. Now watch this next part. Verse, uh, here we go, verse 14. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and had opened the eyes and the open the man's eyes was a Sabbath, to which you and I are supposed to gasp. Okay, so let's let's try let's practice that again. I'm gonna read it, and then when I say it was a Sabbath, it's all gasp. Okay, let's just try it. It'll be kind of fun. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. 
Right. That's exactly what John was going for. All right. So John wants us to know that that's a big deal. Now, why is that a big deal? Well, some of you know the Jewish faith, and even to this day, the Jewish faith takes the Sabbath very seriously. So in the Old Testament, God gave his people a commandment. This is a commandment. He said, I, I want you to work for six days. On the seventh day, no work. It's the Sabbath. It's a holy day as unto me. So the, so the religious leaders, remember, these guys were pious. These guys were unbelievably disciplined and very strict about keeping the law. So when they heard that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, they were like, oh, mm -mm, no Sabbath. So look at this, verse 15. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So they're like, well, how did he heal you? How did he heal you exactly? He says, he put mud on my eyes, the man replied. And I washed, and now I see. How straightforward is that? He's like, Jesus came, made some mud, put it on my eyes, it's gross. Went to the pool of Siloam, I washed it off, and now I can see. Just said it exactly as it was. Right? Now watch this, verse 16. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. So immediately, these Pharisees, upon questioning this man about how the miracle took place, when they hear how Jesus performed the miracle, they immediately dismiss Jesus and said, nope, can't be from God, can't be from God. Now, why is it that they dismiss Jesus so quickly? Well, here's why. As I mentioned before, the Pharisees took the Sabbath very seriously. The Old Testament said, work for six days. On the seventh day, no work. It's a holy day as unto God. Now, here's the problem. In the Old Testament... When that commandment was given by God, there was not much specificity on what exactly it meant to work on the Sabbath. So what the Pharisees did and the religious leaders did is they created a whole list of rules and regulations of what it meant to work on the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, we are told today that there are over 39 categories that are attached to the idea of work in the Jewish rules and Jewish laws, not in the Bible, in the Jewish rules and the Jew Jewish regulations, 39 categories. And underneath each of those categories, there's a subset of literally hundreds of specifics of what it means to keep the Sabbath. Now, one of those categories that's mentioned in the Jewish law is this idea of losh, losh. Here's what losh is. I put a definition for you on the PowerPoint. Losh is a labor category. So this is something that the Jewish leaders invented they said, this is what it means to break the Sabbath. If, you're, if you do this, you're considered working. It's a labor category involving the act of mixing a liquid with another substance so that it results in a new, thick, and consistent product. All right? So what is LOSH? LOSH is whenever you mix something of a liquid with something of another substance to create a thick substance. That's what LOSH is. This is a law that even devout Jews today practice. So for example, if you're making bread, right? So you got your dough, you got your, 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 you know, your yeast and you got your flour and you mix water in with that, that's considered losh, that's considered working. If you make oatmeal, if you get up and decide to make some oatmeal and mix that together, you, you, are, you are performing losh, which is breaking the Sabbath according to these guys. Right? Uh, in fact, Jewish laws say that if you mix concrete on the Sabbath, that's considered losh. If you make protein powder, if you make a protein shake, which obviously I do multiple times a day, and uh, that's a joke, by the way. If you do that, that's considered lush. If you mix baby food, it's considered lush. You're breaking the Sabbath if you do that. As a matter of fact, they are so adamant about this that you're not even allowed to play with Play-Doh or modeling clay on the Sabbath because it's considered lush in some way. And, and so I just want you to understand how strict this was. So remember how I said earlier that I think that there's a very deliberate reason that Jesus spit on the ground and decided to make mud to, as, as a way of performing this miracle? Here's why I think that. Why do I think that Jesus did that? I think that Jesus did that 
because he was deliberately breaking the law of the Pharisees. He would have known exactly what he's doing. Now notice, he's not breaking the law of the Bible. The Bible never says anything about Losh. That's a, that's a later addition by the Pharisees. I think that Jesus went, went through it by that mode of operation because he was trying to make a point about the religious system of the Pharisees. I think he was doing it deliberately as a way of agitating them so that he could have an argument with them. He's picking a fight is what he's doing. So he spits on them, he spits on the ground, he makes this mud. He knows exactly what he's doing. He's breaking Losh. And then he takes this mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. The guy go wash and see. So the Pharisees hear about this. They're like, okay, we understand that you can see and everything. And we understand you were born blind and everything, right? But, but tell us about the Sabbath thing. And he's like, well, Jesus made some mud. And they're like, nope, nope, broke the law. Out. He's out. Because Jesus doesn't operate within our system. So the Pharisees, they had a very, very set, a set system and understanding of God. They had parameters. They had a God box in which they said, this is the way God operates. And if it does not happen within this system of our rules and our regulations, if God does not work within this, these parameters, then it cannot be from God. And so when, when a man who is born blind is healed and comes to them, they have no category for, for accepting that miracle as from God because it doesn't match with their system. It doesn't fit in their God box. And so the Bible says they outright reject it. They're like, nope, not from God. And verse 16, that's why in verse 16, if you look at it again, they said, so the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Like he's not from God, but look at this. But others said, yeah, but how can a sinner perform such signs? So you can imagine there was this argument now between the Pharisees, right? Some of them were like, they're like, man, he broke the law, dude. That's, that's like, so obviously he's not from God. But then some Pharisees were like, yeah, but, but he healed a blind man. That's crazy. And then they're like, yeah, 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 but he broke Losh. He, broke, he disobeyed Losh, broke the Sabbath. And they're like, yeah, 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 but he, like, he healed a blind man. That's crazy. And they're like, yeah, but it doesn't fit in our system, doesn't work with our understanding of God. And they're like, yeah, but dude, he healed a blind man. That's crazy. You know, And so you can just imagine this argument back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And, and it went on for a long time, and we know that because look at the next thing we see in verse 17. Finally, finally, so apparently this has been going on for a while. Finally, they turned again to the blind man. I think it's funny. The blind man has just been standing there the whole time. So they're having this argument back and forth about, well, we don't know if it's from God or not. And the blind man's just like, yeah, okay. I imagine he probably doesn't even care. He's probably just so happy he can see. He's probably, they're probably like, we don't know if this is from God or not. And he's like, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Did you guys see that cloud? That is insane. You know, I just, he's probably just happy he can see. So finally, they turned to the blind man, and they said, well, what do you have to say about him? What do you, what do you have to say? It was your eyes he opened. And the man said, he's a prophet. He's a prophet. Now, remember, this blind man doesn't know anything right now about Jesus, except that he's healed him. So he's just taking a guess. He's like, I don't know. He said, clearly he must be from God because I've never seen anyone do the things that Jesus, well, I've never seen anything, but I've never experienced anything like what Jesus has done, and I can see now. So clearly this guy must be um, from God. Then look at verse 18. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. So the Pharisees are like, we still, man, we still can't make sense of this. We, can, we don't understand it. Well, get his parents in here. Let's do a little further investigation. So they got his parents in verse 19. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one? Look at the way they asked this question. 
Is this the one you say was born blind? Can you hear what they're doing there? They're fishing for something. There's an answer they want to hear. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? Watch his parents' response. This is unbelievably unhelpful. Watch this, verse 20. Well, we know he's our son. Well, that's good. Hope you remember giving birth to him. We know he's our son, his parents answered. We know he was born blind. But how he came to see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. So they're like, parents, what do you think? They're like, well, we, was, we know he was born blind. And he was our son. Back to you, son. <laughs> you know, just, go right back to him. Now, why, why were they so cautious? Look at verse 22. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. They were scared. Why were they afraid of the Jewish leaders? Because they had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. Look at that. They had already decided. So they're Listen, the Pharisees were not interested in finding the truth. They were interested in finding their truth. They had already made a decision about Jesus. They already decided. And the Bible says that everyone knew they already made a decision that if anyone acknowledged Jesus, they would be kicked out of the synagogue. Now, let me just say something about that real quick. To get kicked out of the synagogue, what that meant, it meant more than just kicking someone out of a building. It literally meant excommunication. And for the Jewish person... The Jewish person, excommunication, would have been much more severe than we tend to think of it. When we, when we think of excommunication in our culture, it's already a bad thing. It means being kicked out of the church. But, but for these people, for the Jewish people, their faith was much more than just, than just a spiritual preference. Their faith would have been national identity. It would have been family identity. And so if you were excommunicated from the synagogue, that meant that you would have been ostracized by your family. You would have been ostracized by your community. You would have been considered stripped of your national identity, stripped of your spiritual identity. It meant, literally, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, it meant that you were considered no longer part of the household of God's people. You're no longer part of the faith. You're outside the community. You're treated like a pagan now. So the Bible says that the parents are scared. They're not going to say anything because they're afraid they're going to get kicked out of the synagogue, which would have been social, spiritual, national suicide for them. It's like, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. So they were cautious about their answer. Verse 24. So a second time, they summoned the man who had been born blind. They're like, let's go back, get him back in the room again, further interrogation. And then look at, look, look, look at how they speak to him. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Wow. Give, give glory to God by telling the truth. That, you can just hear it. They're like, quit lying. They say, we know this man is a sinner. So they're not asking anymore. They're like, tell us the truth. As long as the truth is what we want it to be. Tell us the truth. This is flat, you can hear, this is flat out bullying on their part. I love this. Watch, watch this guy's response. This is so, I'm really loving this blind guy. He is awesome. Look at how he responds to these guys. He replied, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. He's like, you guys are the theologians. You guys are the scholars. You figure that out. I don't know. I don't know. I, just, this, just the honest, the raw honesty of this man. He's like, I don't know anything about Jesus. I actually have never even seen him. Because when he healed me, I was blind. So I don't know if he was a sinner or not. But watch this. He's like, but there is one thing I do know that no one seems to be paying attention to right now. I was blind. But now I see. He's like, look, can you, can you just imagine, man, how frustrated this guy must have been? How frustrated. 
He's like, man, you guys brought me in here. And from the moment that I've been here, you've been drooling me with questions about the Sabbath and about making mud. And you brought my parents, you brought my mama into it, man. And you've been asking them all these questions. And not for, not for one moment has anyone stopped and just acknowledged the very obvious fact that this morning I woke up and I couldn't see. And I can see now. No one's even congratulated me. Can't we just stop for a minute and have a party and talk about the fact that I can see? Right? He's like, I was blind. I can see now. And you guys can't see the fact that there's a miracle that is staring you in the eyes. You can't see it. You can't. It's so frustrating, man. So frustrating. But watch these leaders, man. This is crazy. They just keep going. They don't stop. Then they asked him, well, what do you do to you? How do you open your eyes? They just won't let it go. They're like, they're like mall cops, you know? Like, well, exactly how did it happen? Sabbath, get your parents in here. So, verse 27. He answered, I have told you already that you, and you did not. He's like, I told you. Why do we keep having the same conversation over and over again? I already told you. Watch what he says here. This takes guts. This is awesome. Look at this. Why do you want to hear it again? You want to be his disciples too? That's gutsy, isn't it? Now, I, I don't know how he said that. I don't know. Um, but I, I can, I'll just be honest with you what I think. I think this blind man is a lot sharper. He's a sharp guy. He knows what's going on here. And so I think he said this purposefully to get under their skin. So they keep asking him and asking him and asking him questions. And then finally he's like, he's like, oh, I know why you guys are asking me all these questions. I know why. You want to be his disciples too, don't you? <laughs> oh, this, this, this. They get so aggravated. Look at verse 28. Then they hurled insults at him. Isn't that great word imagery, by the way? Hurled insults at him and said, and they, and they said to him, you are this fellow's disciple. We're disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. So they hurled insults at him. By the way, can we just acknowledge that that right there is the lamest comeback ever? <laughs> He's like, oh, you guys want to be, there. you want to be Jesus' disciple too, don't you? And they're like, no, you are his disciple. <laughs> it's like, your mom goes to college. I just, right back at him. Totally lame. Verse 30, the man answered, now that is remarkable. This guy's great. This blind man's great. He's like, now that's something else. That's remarkable, isn't it? You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know, he's like, I, he's like I'm not a theologian. I'm not a theologian, but let's just, let me just review what we know. He's like, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Okay. Yeah, and, uh, and no one's ever heard of a man opening the eyes of a man born blind. That's never happened before. No one's ever seen or heard of anything like that before, right? Right? If this man were not from God, then he could do nothing. I love this. He's like, look, Pharisees, even I can see it. Even I, you, I was blind. You're blind. How can you not see this man is obviously from God? Watch their response, man. You can just hear it in their voice. Verse 34, to this they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. I mean, you can just hear the venom in their voice, can't you? Did you hear that? 
Look at their words. You are steeped in sin at birth. Which that, by the way, was a way of them telling him that the reason that he was blind, in their opinion, was because he sinned. You were, the reason you were blind is because you're a sinner. That's what they said. You're steeped in sin. This man, had, look, he had just been healed from a lifetime of blindness. And the first thing they say to him is, the blindness was because of your sin. And then, look at this. How dare you lecture us, they said. In other words, we're the scholars, we're the theologians, we're the leaders. How dare you lecture us about the things of God? Who are you to tell us? And they threw him out. By the way, that term, they threw him out, it's not strong enough. What that meant literally is they kicked him out of the synagogue. They excommunicated him. And we talked about that earlier, about what it meant to be excommunicated. It meant that you were ostracized by your family. It meant you were ostracized by your community. It would have meant that you were stripped of your national identity. You would have been stripped of your spiritual identity. You would have been considered on the outside of God's family. They're like, you're out. You're out. Man, it's sad. Verse 35 when Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, he went and he found him. Now, can we just stop for a minute and acknowledge how awesome that is? That the first thing that happens when Jesus hears that this man gets kicked out is he goes right to him. He went and he found him. He's like, I gotta go, I gotta go find, I heard he just got kicked out, I gotta go find this guy. And he goes to him and then he has this conversation. He said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me, so that I might believe. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Didn't he love that? He's like, you have now seen him. He couldn't see that morning. Oh, he can see now. You have now seen him. He's standing in front of you. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And he worshiped him. Incredible. What an incredible story about this man who was healed from, was born blind and was healed by Jesus I gotta tell you something, what's really cool about this story is that it doesn't end there. There's actually a very interesting transaction that happens in chapter 10 as a follow-up to this story. So think about the story. Man's born blind, Jesus heals him. He goes to the Pharisees, the Pharisees don't accept it. They kick him out of the synagogue. They say, you're out. Jesus goes and finds him, has a private conversation with the guy, and he says, you're not out, you're in. You're actually in now. And because of your faith in me, you're now accepted into God's community. And the Bible says in chapter 10 what happens is Jesus then goes to the Pharisees. So in chapter 10, verse 1, it tells us Jesus went to the Pharisees and began speaking with them. And then he has this interaction with them. And I want you to look at verse 7, what Jesus says about himself in chapter 10. Therefore, Jesus said, now he's speaking with the Pharisees after all of this has taken place. He's speaking with them and he says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. I have come. They may have life and have it to the full. I mean, I just want you to see Jesus in his own words, what he says about himself. When you look at it in the context of John chapter 9, it makes profound sense. Profound sense. Jesus says, I am the gate to the sheep. Now what Jesus was doing when he said that was he was actually drawing a metaphor that would have been commonly known to everyone in that culture because everyone would have known shepherds and how sheep herding worked and all that type of thing. But basically what shepherds would do is when they, put their, when they, when they would put their sheep in a flock in the, in the pen, a lot of times the pen would have no door. The sheep pen would have no door. So the shepherd himself would lie in the entryway and would become the door into the sheep pen. 
right? So Jesus says to these guys, I am the door. I am the gate. Now, in the Old Testament, some of you guys might remember this, the Israelites, one of the, one of the terms that was commonly used for them was they were called the flock of God. It was God's community. God himself was the shepherd. His people were the flock. And to be part of God's community was to be part of his flock. So Jesus says this. He says, I am the door. I am the gate. I am the way by which people gain entry into God's community. I am the one who says who's in and who's out. Now remember the context, right? This blind man had been healed. He went to the Pharisees. The Pharisees could not accept what he had to say. So they said, that's it. You're out. You're out. You're no longer a child of God. You're excommunicated from the synagogue. You're no longer part of this religion anymore. You're out. And then Jesus later comes to the Pharisees after he talks to the blind man and says, no, you're in. He goes to the Pharisees then and he says, uh, just want you guys to know, I'm the gate. Not you. I'm the gate. I say who's in. I say who's out. Everyone who comes into God to connect with God comes through me, not through you. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what these rules and regulations are. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with me. And then Jesus goes so far to say this. He says, anyone who tries to get in another way but through me is a thief and a robber. That's what Jesus says. The only way that you can truly gain access to God's community, according to Jesus, is to Jesus Christ himself. His opinion is the only one that matters. Jesus, in his own words, what did he say about himself? He said, I am the gate, I am the door, I am the way in which a person interacts and connects with God. If Jesus said that about himself, that means that that says something about him, but it also says something to us, some implications for us. So let me just give you three implications of what it means when Jesus says, I am the door, and then we'll be done. All right, so Jesus says, I am the gate, I am the door. Here's three implications for us to consider. If it's true, about Jesus, that he is the gate, that he is the entryway into which we connect with God, if that's true. Here's your first, first indication. The first thing is, that means that acceptance into God's community is through Jesus alone. Acceptance into God's community, the way to connect with God, is through Jesus Christ alone. His opinion is the only one that matters about you. Now listen, earlier I mentioned this. For some of you, you may have had someone, maybe they were well-intentioned, maybe they weren't, you may have someone in the past who told you that you're not good enough, that you're not clean enough, that you're not smart enough, that you're not enough enough to connect with God. You may have had someone tell you that, right? In fact, you may have told yourself that. But here's what you need to know. They're not the gate. They don't determine who's in and who's not in. Jesus says, I'm the gate. And the only opinion that truly matters is my opinion. You may have equally been told by someone, maybe it was a religious leader, Maybe it, was, maybe it was a spiritual leader. Maybe it was Oprah. I don't know. But you may have been told by someone that there is another way that you can connect with God that does not include Jesus Christ. That you can connect with God a different way. And if Jesus is saying, if what he's saying is true, what he's saying is, they're not the gate. And anyone who tries to get in and connect with God any other way but through me is a thief and a robber. They're misinformed at, at, at the very least. And at the best, they're probably... Miss, they have uh, bad intentions, bad motives in the matter. And so what it means for us is it means this. Acceptance into God's community is through Jesus Christ alone. It's through Christ. The, the opinion of other people doesn't matter. The opinion of yourself doesn't matter. The only opinion that truly matters is what Jesus Christ says about you. It's through him alone. Here's the second thing it means, second indication, implication. It means that any religion, any system or tradition that points away from Jesus Christ is misleading. All right? 
Here's the other implication for us. Any religion, any system, any tradition that points away or blocks us from Jesus is misleading. It's misleading. I gotta be honest with you guys, when I read this this week, it's a fascinating passage, it's kind of a fun passage to look at together, but for me it's equally as, it's equally as terrifying. And here, here's why it terrifies me. Um, when I read the Bible, one of the things I've noticed is that the harshest words that Jesus speaks tends to not be to the sinners and the tax collectors and the prostitutes. Most of the time he's talking to those guys, he's inviting them in. He's like, come on in, let me, let me talk about the grace of God. Most of the harshest words that Jesus speaks, he speaks to the religious leaders. Here's why that makes me so nervous. Because I'm a religious leader. I mean, it's, if I identify with anyone in this passage the most, I probably identify with the Pharisees. These guys were trained in the Bible. I was trained in the Bible. These guys, people would go to them to get spiritual direction and how to connect with God. That's part of my job description. People come to me to say, how do I connect with God? What's the, how, do I, how do I do that? And it terrifies me. And the reason it terrifies me is because, like the Pharisees, they had constructed, they knew the Bible, which was good, but they had constructed this whole system with these extra laws and these extra things that you needed to do to connect with God. That, that, and they were so committed to their system, they were so committed to their thinking, that when Jesus came to them and presented with them with a miracle, they literally looked a miracle in the eyes and completely missed it. It terrifies me. Listen, here, here's the truth. Any leader in the church, any spiritual leader, every spiritual leader, no spiritual leader has, has any spiritual authority that Jesus Christ himself hasn't entrusted to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spiritual leaders have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my fear is that I in no way want to delineate from or add additions to connecting with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he says, you guys totally, totally missed it. Listen, I hope you guys hear my heart on this. Everything in this church, everything, is designed to be a gigantic arrow pointing to Jesus Christ. Everything is. All of our ministries, our life groups, what happens on the weekend services here, our children's ministry, our youth ministries, New Perspective, our building, everything is intended to be a gigantic arrow that says, go to him. He is the gate. He is the gate. Not, not us. He is the gate. We are the arrow that points to the gate. So listen, if I ever get up here, ever, and I start pointing you away from Jesus, or I misrepresent what this book says, or if I ever get up here and I say, I have a special knowledge that God gave me that you don't have, and let me tell you, if you just do these things in addition to what the Bible teaches, then you'll be saved. If I ever do anything like that, listen, don't walk, run from here. Because the Bible says that Jesus is the gate. He's the only one who truly determines who's in and who's out. And it terrifies me sometimes when I read this passage, because it's really, it really is ultimately um, a rebuke that Jesus is giving to spiritual leaders. It's frightening. Some of you guys have been abused by those things. You come from a past where you've been told certain things about what it means to connect with God, but it's not what Jesus said. Because it's not what Jesus said, it doesn't matter. Because they're not the gate. He's the gate. He's the only one that can gain entry. Here's the last thing for you, and then we'll pray. The last implication is really directed specifically to Christians. So if you're a Christ follower, this is directly for you. If you're not a Christ follower, this is indirectly for you. Okay, but for those of you who are Christ followers, here it is. For Christians, we must strive to accurately represent Jesus and direct uh, others to him. 
that our, our, the ambition of our lives and for Christ followers should be nothing more than to be gigantic arrows that point people to the gate. That way. That's what they say, that way. Go to Christ. Like, like, like John the Baptist said, I must become less, he must become greater. He's, got a, he's the big deal, I'm the small deal. And I'm pointing to him, I'm directing to him. Listen, I think for those of us who are Christ followers, we need to look at our heart. And we need to ask, where have, where has, have other things crept in that, that we say that it's, it's follow Jesus plus this? And, and what, are, what, are, um, what are barriers that we've placed uh, that kind of that are improper that keep people from interacting with Jesus. See, for some of us, we're like, yeah, you know, you got you got to follow Jesus. Sure, you got to do the things the Bible says, but you also have to be of this political persuasion too. If you really want to be a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. Yeah, but who said that? You're not going to find that in the Bible. That's not something you're going to see in Scripture. For some of us, we're like, you know, to be a Christian means you got to do these things that the Bible says, but you also have to adhere to these traditions. You've got to worship God in these ways through these systems and these disciplines. That's the way that you've got to do it. And if you don't do it that way, then you're not in. Yeah, but who said? Who said that? I think we've got to be cautious because sometimes, like these Pharisees, the problem with the Pharisees wasn't that they, they knew the Bible, which was awesome. They added all this stuff to it. They added things like Losh and these systems and these weird things. And then they told the people, you have to do this to be a follower of God. And Jesus comes in and, and he purposely spits in the mud and makes mud to tell them, no, you don't. No, you don't. I say how you interact. And so for some of us, we need to look at, are there additions that we put? When we say to follow Jesus means to do these things, and then you have to look this way. You have to do these things, you have to act this way. You have to do these things, and you have to stop doing these habits. You have to do these things, and you have to... Who says those things? If it doesn't line up with Jesus, that if it's not his commands, if it's not his words, we need to be cautious. For those of us who follow Jesus, that we accurately represent Jesus and tear down every unnecessary barrier that might keep people from interacting and knowing Jesus. You guys probably know, you probably heard us talk about this here, that's one of the major hearts of our campus. One of the major heartbeats is that we want to aggressively and violently tear down every unnecessary barrier that keeps people from Jesus Christ. That's, that's our heart. Tear it all down and make it easy for people to see the door. The gospel is offensive enough on its own. We don't need to add anything to it to make it more offensive. But to tear down every barrier needs to be our, for those of us who follow Christ, needs to be our objective in life to actively remove any unnecessary barrier that keeps people from Jesus. Jesus said, I am the gate. That's what he said in his own words. That means that he is the access point to our connection with the Father. And it's our job to point to him. Anyone who tries to enter in by any other way is a thief and a robber. And if it's not through Christ, then it's not true if what Jesus said in his own words is right. Let's pray together. Jesus, I just want to say thank you for your word this morning to us. And uh, God, thank you for this incredible story. It's awesome to see how you work, um, how you work miracles in the lives of people. Father, I pray that today you would open our eyes, our spiritual eyes to your truth. Jesus, help us. Help us to, to understand what it truly means to connect with you as the gate. And we know that any other way that we, that we connect with the Father, that if it doesn't include you, then it's just not true. And if you're the gate, God, then that means that your opinion about us is the only one that really matters. So because of that, God, I pray that today uh, you would help us to interact with you. Jesus, I pray that our definition of following you wouldn't be a system. It wouldn't be a, it wouldn't be a set of disciplines. It wouldn't be 
completely based on actions and, and behavior, but it would be based primarily on you, Jesus, a relationship with you. So lead us to that, Father. I pray that your words to us this morning for some people would be life-giving. Help them to connect with the truth, Lord, of who you are. So God, open our eyes. Continue to do it today. I ask these things in Christ's name.